welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, I say tomato, you say tomato. I say potato and then berate you for thinking potato is an acceptable pronunciation for an adult. Knock, knock. Europe. That's disgusting. But fair. It's slideshows of cathedrals and statues and monologues about how a quarter pounder is known as a royale with cheese as the insurance European delegation returns home. And what have they missed? As they dream of brie and bratwursts, we're left with the ongoing nightmares of L-E-V-E-S and L-E-V-I-E-S. That's not a great joke for audio, but none of my jokes are, so I'm consistent at least. And while they sound like the end of a teenager's night after too much ouzo on their gap year, Yui are worth talking about. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalists Bernice Han and Miranda Maxwell, deputy editor Wendy Pugh and editor John Deeks. Good morning, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. Did you have a gap year? I did not, but I should have. I highly recommend. <laughs> That's because you didn't have one. <laughs> Hello, Bernice. Hi, Andrew. I was going to do that knock-knock joke with you. Oh, no. <laughs> I might spoil your joke. <laughs> Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Is there a difference between a levy and a levy? <laughs> there is. <laughs> if you look at in the, it's all in the spelling. <laughs> All right. Excellent. And good morning, John. Morning. John, you're exotic. Do you know anyone who says potato or potato? I've never heard of potato, no. All right. So, John, the European delegation is back. Was it a success? Well, yeah, I think it, it seems to have, have, have been well worth it. There was perhaps some scepticism in some quarters about this trip and and who might be paying for it and so on. But to have the assistant treasurer attend all these meetings with reinsurers and reinsurance brokers and Lloyds, et cetera, in Europe, along with the ICA and the CEOs of all the major insurance companies, I think it, it, it was a great investment of time. The better that the minister can understand our industry, the more likely he'll come up with more um, sensible solutions to the challenges that we're facing. So, um, yeah, what Mr. Jones has been saying since he returned will be music to industry ears, or at least most of the industry. Our analysis article this week goes into it in some detail, but he came back saying he's more convinced than ever that cutting the underlying risk is the only way to deal with the problem of increasing weather events and the impact that's having on insurance claims and premiums. He said something along the lines of a flood pool wasn't wasn't the first thing he'd try. So, yeah, the industry will be will be pleased to hear all of this because that's been their argument for decades. We did hear an alternative view from consumer groups who who say yes, mitigation obviously is the way to go, but we need something else in the meantime to get people over the hump. So they're still pushing subsidies. They think that the government should be paying subsidies to the worst affected and most vulnerable people because we have heard of premiums of $40,000 or whatever. And, and the Actuaries Institute report mentioned the fact that the premiums have gone up by 28% on average, which is the worst for two decades. So there certainly is a problem. The minister has a view about how to fix it. And 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 that chimes with with what the industry view is. But the question is, will it fix it quickly enough? And that's what consumer groups are worried about. Well, do we need to do more than mitigation, Wendy? Well, the trouble with mitigation is that you can't build a levy in a day. You, know, you probably can't you know, build it in a, f a few months either. There are smaller things that can be done quickly, but a lot of the, the big ticket changes take time. I mean, even if you're talking about changes to floodplain laws and that sort of thing, 
I mean, that's all very well for the future, but that will take time. It doesn't help the people who are there now and there's not quick fixes. And everyone knows there's not quick fixes. So as the consumer groups say, you know, you you, you may have to look at subsidising premiums, um, particularly for people who are lower income because they are often in uh, locations that are vulnerable to flooding or um, in rural areas close to, to bushfire-prone regions and that sort of thing. So then perhaps also there could be, you know, more assistance to help people to carry out things like roofing works and things like that so they can be better uh, protected um, and at the same time make sure that that's uh, better reflected in premiums. So everyone knows the problems. There just needs to be a combination of responses. Well, speaking of subsidies, it's a bevy of levies, Wendy. The Tasmanian government has ditched a highly unpopular tax on insurance. Tasmania has been funding its fire services through a mix of a levy on business insurance and property-based and motor vehicle levies. So it's been looking at changes for a while as part of other reforms to the fire service and state emergency service. Uh, And now they've introduced some draft legislation and and consulting on that. But the the big news for insurers is that they they are doing away with the business insurance levy um, and they are um, consulting further on changes on the property-based levy and widening out the vehicle levy. So um, they say that um, reviews have found that the current arrangements are, you know, complex, unfair and unsustainable. So um, they're, you know, making some changes. Well, that would just leave New South Wales minis. With Terry not around, are you going to get on uh, your soapbox and talk about stamp duties? Oh, no, I'm thrown off course now, Andrew. <laughs> Um, it's the last man standing, so we're the country's most popular state for in line and follow suit. I don't really know because the Minsk government has barely said anything since it won the uh, state elections in March. I mean, there may well be some high-level talks behind closed doors with the insurance industry. And if that is making any headway, we, we won't know, we won't see the results for a while. Such things do take a long time. Um, for now, the status, the status quo stays. I mean, um, the means government's first budget delivered last month shows just how much the state is collecting from insurance taxes. So, uh, the emergency services levy is going to raise some 5.1 billion over the next four years and stamp duty. The other tax is often under the radar, 6.8 billion. And talking about stamp duty, every state and territory adds a stamp duty of like 9 to 11%, depending on the jurisdiction uh, to every insurance policy. I mean, the only exception is uh, the ACT. So and stamp duty is charged on top of GST payable. So it's a massive source of revenue for governments. But as we all know, it comes at a high price under insurance. Well, Suncorp has been giving a bit more information, Wendy, on the next steps for its bank sale. Yes. Yeah, so after the ACCC said no to selling the bank to ANZ, you know, both companies appealed to the Australian Competition Tribunal. Suncorp's chairman, Christine McLaughlin, gave an update at the AGM and she says that, you know, a, a tribunal led by a federal court judge has been formed. Uh, they'll be reviewing the arguments and it, it's expecting it's expected a hearing will take place in December with a decision likely by the end of February. So Suncorp still expects, based on that timetable and its confidence over the issues, that the sale can still be wrapped up by the middle of next year. What else did Suncorp have to say at the AGM, John? Well, they did touch on this issue of home home, home insurance affordability that we, we've all been talking about. So Ms McLaughlin told the AGM that the insurance sector is facing into a period of increased scrutiny from the government, regulators, consumer groups and the community. 
as premium rises come through. So I think we'll see this, obviously, with the government's inquiry into the floods response, which uh, will get underway soon. And we also just see this in, in the mainstream media. There's, there's just barely a week goes by without some poor individual who's uh, had a troublesome claim or, 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 or can't afford insurance. It's usually related to flood. But yes, Ms. McLaughlin talked about the changing climate and how the company is, is very conscious about passing on these pricing increases. She said that the company is doing its best to, to seek greater efficiencies, and that includes a commitment to exploring and designing a lower-cost home insurance solution. Uh, so that sounds interesting. I can't wait to hear more about that. And Steve Johnston, the CEO, also chimed in on the same subject and said that by continuing to digitize and automate the business uh, with world-class technology, that would help create greater efficiencies and keep these premium rises down to a minimum. Well, Bernice, you've been writing about one of our so-called challenger brands, UE. Yeah, so um, they recently released their full-year earnings. Uh, so um, some pretty good numbers there. I mean, operating profit, 153 million. That's up from 57 million. And we're talking about the year to June 30th, of course. Uh, so uh, G- GWP up 21.5% to 1.36 billion. So natural peril losses were significantly lower. So that helped the bottom line. One of the key takeaways from UE was, of course, the insurer's decision to do away with aggregate natural uh, peril tra- treaties for the 20. 20- 24 financial year. So it's a form of reinsurance cover and the insurer has decided it will not continue with it. And the reason rising reinsurance costs is one, as our listeners and readers will know, it's a big cost item for insurers after the record floods and catastrophes, other catastrophes in Australia. So the changes to UE's 2023-24 reinsurance program, also in response to the insurers joining, to the insurer joining the uh, cyclone reinsurance pool on July 1st. So UE is saying that you no, know, the, the cyclone reinsurance pool will reduce its uh, exposure to large cyclone events. And then with the aggregate cover, I mean, Suncorp has also decided to drop citing costs as the deal breaker. Well, Tower in New Zealand also announced some changes to its reinsurance arrangements, Miranda. Yes, Tower announced last week it has secured another year of reinsurance, including for three catastrophe losses, and it estimates it will pay around 14% of income for that. The CFO, Paul Johnston, says the increase in pricing and excesses was moderate, and there was new backing from some reinsurers Tower hasn't worked with before. So it sounds like a bit of a win and no doubt quite a relief for Tower, which has had a very tough time after the Auckland floods and Cyclone Gabrielle. Tower had to top up its insurance already earlier this year after those catastrophes. And along with increasing motor theft claims, it's expecting a small loss for the year that's just ended, which was a very big turnaround after it was already it was forecasting a profit of $26 million about a year ago. And finally, Miranda, the Dive-In Festival took place last week. How did it go? Well, they hosted about 130 dive-in events worldwide last week. Uh, people go to a lot of trouble to put these together. It's a ton of work. It's going to be 10 years next year that this diversity and inclusion festival has been held by the insurance industry and the organisers try really hard to keep it fresh and add new topics and stay relevant. This year there were quite a few sessions on AI and other new technology and what that means for fairness and ethics in underwriting. They even had the Human Rights Commissioner, Lorraine Finlay, and another session I listened to 
featured steadfast Robert Kelly, who's encouraging women to apply for positions even if they don't feel they meet all the criteria. Anyone can still go to the attendee hub on the Dive In website and listen to the recordings of those sessions. So it's a, a valuable set of information from some really senior people in the industry. Have we not cracked diversity and inclusion in the industry yet, John? Well, no, I think we all wish we had, but no, we haven't. There has been a great deal of progress. I think everyone would would agree with that, particularly over the last 10 years or so and, and through initiatives like Dive In. But just looking at gender, which is just one of the one of the one of the issues, the financial and insurance services sector is still one of the worst when it comes to the gender pay gap. And some of these issues actually came up in our annual wellbeing survey, which the results of which are going to be presented in detail in the next insurance news magazine. But to just give you a a sneak preview on a couple of issues, you know, we did have a question in there about have you been discriminated against in the insurance industry? And 33% of respondents said they had. There was a range of comments from people who took part in the survey as well. Female in a male-dominated industry, nothing more to add. I was discriminated against because I was a female, said another. There's hundreds of these comments. So, no, I think to answer your question, we probably haven't cracked it. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Benice Han, Miranda Maxwell and John Deeks. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.